Ashley Brock, reading Diana Palmer's book, Dangerous, Chapter 13. They got off the plane in Nasi with the rest of the business class section, and even though it was winter back in the United States, it was peripheral summer in the Bahamas. They looked out the window of the terminal as they came onto the concourse. People were walking around in shorts. Why did I wear a coat when you come? Because you were cold, killer and me. Come on, let's get in the line for customs. It'll be slow. It always is. Are we in a race? Yes. She hit him. They looked like a social couple, society couple. When he was wearing a trim, very expensive cream collar couture pantsuit with designer high heels and purse. Kilwayman was wearing slick slacks and a shirt and an expensive jacket. He made a point of telling the customs officer that he and Winnie were newlyweds on their honeymoon. They walked out of the terminal past the steel drum band, occasionally moving to the rhythm of the uh, unconsciously moving to the rhythm of the music. The limousine that Kilwayman had hired when he made the reservations was waiting for them. Whisked them along the winding road that led from the airport past Cable Beach to the road that led to the exclusive section of New Providence where so many millionaires had summer homes. Isn't it beautiful? She asked, looking out into the window. First time we came here, I must have been about four years old. Saw the white sand and all the incredible shades of aqua and turquoise of the water and asked my parents if it was a painting. I know what you mean. Those, those colors look too vivid to be real. Have you been here before? She asked him. I've been through here. I've seen airports and hotels all over the world, but my experience with open country has been mostly in the dark. <laughs> she understood the reference at once. You never talk about it, do you? Wouldn't dare reply. Most of it's classified. He personally smiled at her. I trust you, but you need a government clearance to know particulars. She made it. I tell you everything, she come. His eyebrows are. You do? I told you about my mother and my father's point out. His eyes grew to, And I told you about my daughter. I've never spoken of her to anyone outside my family except people directly involved in the case. Sorry I lost her in such a way. He averted his gaze to the scenery passing the windows. Tall casurial pines and royal palms lining the narrow paved road. So am I. She pressed a wrinkle out of the soft fabric of her sight. Haven't you ever thought about having another job? No. He said at once, and with ice dripping from his tongues. The violence of the reply disconcerned her. She met his eyes and almost flinched at what he saw in them. I won't go through it again, he said. But he just, but just because you lost one child in such a horrible way, he held up and, I won't discuss it either, he said coldly. Silver eyes were glittering. I appreciate your help. I really do. Do you have any illusions about why we're here? Let me disenchant you. You're here to ask questions and get answers, not spend a few torted nights in each other's arms. I could walk away after and never look back. You couldn't. You're too young and too innocent for a casual affair. So we'll do what we came here to do. Go back to the States and get a quiet annulment, and there won't be any complications, least of all the pregnancy, period. She, she felt as if he'd stuck her in a pin, stuck a pin in her. He was intimidating like that. She was used to him being amused or teasing around her. He'd never been really harsh, except that one time when she messed up a dispatch and nearly got him killed. This was the real man behind the banter, and he was scary. No wonder Gail had said he was dangerous. He realized he was upsetting her, and he forced himself to calm down. She was a normal, loving woman who wanted a home and family. Her feelings for him were getting in the way of her common sense, and that was only infatuation. She'd get over it. She was at she was, as he already said, very young, 
22 to his 32. Sorry, she said he was a man. No, I'm sorry. I forgot your age sometimes. You'll find a man who wants to settle down and have a family with you one day. But it won't be me. You know that already. She nodded. She wasn't really agreeing, but it seemed safe for to appear to requesting it. At least he wasn't looking at her with that icy glare anymore. Now there's a dangerous method of travel, she said to the burning point to mopeds zipping past in the other direction. I had to appreciate one of those in another country for emergency transport once, he confessed. Rounded the curve and went right over the handlebars. He shook That's how I ended up with still pin in my leg. It's a lot harder than it looks. And you drive a Jaguar, she turned. Jags are built to be stable on the road at extremely high speeds. Mopeds aren't. Well, my brother thinks Jags can fly. He's never been able to convince state troopers that he should be allowed to fly them on the interstate. He said. Me either. I wish we were going downtown. I'd love to see the old British Colony Hotel. What? Oh, that's not what they call it now. She said. It's the Hilton Hotel these days. It's right downtown next to the wharf. It was the site of an old Fort Noss. It was the site of Old Force Noss and the scene of many battles in the 17th century. It was also the place to be seen socially at the turn of the 20th century. The Duke and the Duchess of Windsor even attended parties there when he was the governor of the Bahamas during the Second World War. Excuse me. There's a statue of the pirate Rudy's Rogers right out in front of the hotel. Ironically, he was the first governor of the Bahamas. Just as Henry Morgan, the pirate, was the first governor of Jamaica, he's choking. His grave was lost in the late 17th century during a devastating earthquake that sent most of the Port Royal to the bottom of the ocean. Yes, there was an earthquake in Portugal in 1755 that sent a stony quay into the sea, killing people who rushed there for refugees. They estimated that over 20,000 people perished in Lisbon in a matter of minutes from the earthquake and the two tsunamis that followed it. You follow earthquake history? She laughed so consciously. Yes. Well, yes, she confessed. I practically lived on the United States Geology Service survey site. So I went, really? Really, there in the Weather Channel and the www.spaceweather.com. He added, I follow sunspots and meteor showers. The near Earth asteroids on space weather. She laughed, yes, me too. His eyes were going, you have a telescope. How did you know that? She asked her. A lucky guess, I have one too. You didn't see it because it's in my bedroom. It's a deposit. Uh, Skip Smith's Casarang. She gets smiling superly when you like. How big is the abdomen? Eight inches. Mine's ten. She burned. Yes, but you live out in the country. He said. I'm in town, and the eight inch wind lets in less light pollution. You have to come look at astronomy events with me. When we get through with our undercover stuff, she said, Boone had a small observatory built for me in the back patio. I can leave my telescope out in all weathers because it's waterproof. I'd like that, he said seriously. He was looking at Robin. And all the time we've known each other, he never mentioned liking natural events or astronomy. He never came up, she said. I guess not. He liked what he was learning about her, but she was still far too young, especially for what he'd been thinking about when he first proposed this trip. He's vaguely ashamed of himself, more so when he recalled her recent turmoil, finding that she had a brother she didn't even know about and that her uncle might be involved peripherally in the recent murder. Then, too, her mother had been shot, 
perhaps that wouldn't have bothered her some weeks ago, but since discovering Mother's true situation, it had hit her hard, and he's been thinking of a holiday romp with her, a sexual escapade that he could forget, but that she couldn't. She cared about him. She really did. It was disturbing on several levels. Monica, his late wife, had liked his family's wealth, despite his job as a policeman at the time. She knew his family had money, and she decided she might as well marry for money as love. Perhaps she'd been fond of him, but it had never been more than that. She'd been mostly in concerned with Mally after her birth. Kilraven had doted on the child, taking her places with him, showing her off. He clapped down on the memory. It was painful. He recalled that Cammie, his stepmother, had liked Monica, hadn't liked Monica at all. Not that she liked any woman her son and stepson brought around, but she often said that there was something dark and cold lying curled up in Monica's room. Deep thoughts, when he asked you. What? He laughed at me. I was thinking about Monica, my wife. He had when she looked for She lived in the Marcus and Sachs. She loved clothes and diamonds and parties. She must have loved her family, too, she said. She loved my money, he sighed. Well, she never bought a dress or a pair of shoes or even a toy for Melly. If I gave her money to buy stuff for Melly, she bought clothes for herself with it. I finally learned to shop for my daughter myself. <laughs> When he was surprised, in the other woman's place, she'd have been showering her daughter with presents, cuddling her, taking her places, taking photos overnight day. She rolled her eyes and her hands gripped her purse her purse hard. That's sad, she said. I asked her once why she didn't ever play with the baby. She said it was her job to have the child, mine to raise it. She done her part. She didn't even like children. She just got tired of me badgering her about having kids. He dropped his eyes to the floorboard. Cammie might not be your idea of the perfect mother, he added with a deep but she was a hell of a stepmother. She was always taking me places, doing things with me, buying me stuff. When John came along, he was my brother, plain and simple. She treated us both just alike. Heaven help any teacher, a boy who gave us trouble at school. Cammie would be on them like duck on a tune bug. Even Dad wasn't ever so protective of us. I'm sure she improves on closer acquaintances when he said different. I'll see if Boone will lend me a cattle prod to carry if I have to start sure again. <laughs> he gave her an eviction with a blonde chainsaw, he said with pure movement. He made it sound like a caress. She felt warm and safe and secure. I'm not like that usually. That's my point. I know. If you don't assert yourself enough, people will walk all over you if you let them. You know, she said. I'm used to walking on people, he pointed out. You have to stand up to me. I'm still trying to stand up to Boone, she said, Winston. It's not easy. You did very well convincing him to let you come down here with me, he said something. I was proud of you. She lifted her eyes and said, where? You know, stick around with me for a while and I'll have you eating tigers with just a little hot sauce raw. Oh, give me the chance, he thought, but she only said, I'll follow your sterling example. The car was slowing, pulled up to a wrought iron metal gate, very ornate, and they jumped out and punched coat into the computerized access panel she got back in the gate of Boone had it installed. She said, we had a break-in a few years ago. Now we're very security conscious. He nodded. He was going to make sure the security was top-notch while they were in residence. Didn't want any surprise visits, just in case they ruffled enough feathers to invite unwanted visitors. The house was white with red ceramic tile roof, set well back from the beach on a plat plot of land that was covered with grisea pines and palms. Around the long front porch was 
Hibiscus and Lantinaw. Brilliant. Bovillia climbing the patio balcony. Nice, Kilburn said as they walked up onto the porch. The driver saw him with their luggage. He had the driver set the bags down and gave him a substantial tip with thanks. The man saluted with a big grin and went back to his vehicle. When he was putting her key in the door, she already disarmed the security pad. She opened it and sighed at the beauty of the interior. The furniture was pristine, the floor spotless and highly polished wood. There were original paintings on the walls, one of Boone and Clark and Winnie as children. The house had been in the family for two generations. Kilraven walked to the portrait and studied it. Winnie had long, wavy hair. She was wearing a white dress and holding a red Herepsius flower, laughing. She was very pretty. I was five years old when that was painted, she said, looking at him. it from beside him. My parents were still together. We used to come here for several weeks in the summer, he nodded. He looked around. The furniture chains were nice, but they looked new. These aren't very old here. Right? No, the last big hurricane that hit the island got the original house, she said sadly. The painting survived because it was on loan to a local gallery, which survived. We lost everything except the shell of the house. Boone had it rebuilt. It's a replica of the original, but without the things that gave it its history. But this, the paintings survived, at least he commented. Yes, but we learned a hard lesson. Now we don't bring heirlooms down here anymore. Just in case, she turned. He was still looking at me. I'll bet you'll live through hurricanes at least once. <laughs> I bet you've lived through hurricanes at least once. He smiled faintly. Got his hands in his pocket. Hurricanes, typhoons, tornadoes, sandstorms, and enemy attacks with blazing guns. She grimaced. I've never even been in a tornado, although one went right by the house not so many years ago. So I've never had to face an attack by anybody armed. No reason for you to have to. He pointed out. Thank goodness she went to the kitchen. I phoned down here before we left San Antonio and had Marco come up and turn on the electricity and stop the fridge. He acts as part-time caretaker for him. He also owns a local art store. She left. He's the reason we still have that painting. He has strict instructions to rush right down here and put it in storage. If there's even a gale warning, he could take it to commercial wells, he said. It belongs here, she replied to him. Well, we did have a copy. Good thinking. Are you hungry? Store, she said. Peanuts don't do a thing for me. In defense of the airlines, she said, they have to feed the monkeys something. Why can't they feed us real meals? I was on this flight to Japan, he probably smiled, and I asked for Japanese cuisine. Came in several stages, just as it does in Okasaka at a good restaurant. I loved it. <laughs> they went into the kitchen, and when he opened the refrigerator, she reached in and then turned with a ham platter, one hand, and a mayonnaise jar in there. I've never been to Asia. How do they serve food? In tiny bites, he said. One and on one plate, you might get a morsel of meat with a small slice of fruit. On another, a spoonful of salad. Dessert comes on a plate in the form of a walnut-sized scoop of plump ice cream with a small leaf and drizzle of syrup for decoration. It's edible art. <laughs> wow. Like they do gifts, he said, moving to the counter to find plates of bread in a drawer to put out a knife of mayonnaise. It doesn't matter what the present is. They're concerned with the way it's wrapped. The more elegant, the better. You liked it there, she commented, you know, very much. He chuckled as he watched her make ham sandwiches. What's funny? I was thinking that I could never commit a crime on the streets of Okasaka without being immediately taken into custody. I'm more than a head taller than most people I met. She grinned, looked down at her shoes. And with bigger feet, I imagine. 
That's another thing. If you think you may need a second pair of shoes, you're advised to take them with you. You won't find a size to fit you unless you have a feet the size of yours. He was looking at her little feet in the, in the high heels, and the expression was almost affectionate. What do you wear anyway? A battle five? Five and a half, she cried. Tiny little feet fit in those strapping high heels. She pressed things. Took the knife out of her hand, put it on the table. His expression was unreadable as he suddenly lifted her by the waist right up to his eyes. He promised not to wear anything suggested. He said, she asked, listen, I'm covered from head to mid-calf. His mouth brushed hers, sending shivers of pleasure down at him. Looks like you little feet aren't covered. He whispered, he nibbled her up. My feet aren't covered, she faltered. Sexy feet, he whispered. His tongue slid under her top lip and explored the soft, moist flesh. His big hands tightening on her waist, moved just a few steps to the counter and lifted her there so that she was almost on a level with his eyes. His look whispered over her from her cheek to her nose down to the corners of her mouth. While he was exploring her face and enjoying her helpless little gasp, his hands were busy on her jacket and the front clip of the bra under her. She didn't realize it until she felt the air on her bare skin, until she saw his eyes dropping down, until she heard his breath catch. And she would have jerked at the brawl, but the way he was looking at her made her heart stop. His hand traced over the high, firm swell of her breast. His fingers moved down over the sudden taut nipple. It was like the night on the sofa all over again, and she was helpless. Beautiful breasts, he was holding his pink as the inside of Coke Soft, silky, delicious. As he spoke, his head bent. His lips took the place of his fingers in a light was very caress that was so tender it made her whole body sweet as honey he was where his other hand smoothed up the ribcage over the breast he wasn't kissing when he was on fire she never been touched like that voluntarily before Kilraven came along once a boy had grabbed her on a date and hurt her when she fought her way out of his arms no other man had ever been allowed to go this far she arched her back in helpless response to the sensations he was arousing you like this do you he murmured I know something you'll like better. As he spoke, his mouth opened, and he took almost her whole breast inside it, teasing the nipple with his tongue as the soft suction caught her in, a, in the grip of hunger she'd never felt before. She moaned, high-pitched little swirl of sound that brought Kilgraven's blood up hard. His mouth became insistent, almost violent on her soft skin. All at once, he lifted her again, only to revert her hips to the rising hardness of his body. He showed her that the desire that reached in him from the contact. His mouth bit her. I had a buddy in Iraq. He was working. We came home on leave, and his wife was walking around in his short gown with nothing under it. He dropped his pants, lifted her onto him, and walked around the house, bouncing her against him. He said the climax was so violent that they fell down the steps into the sunken living room and had to go to the emergency room after. Mouth found in her. He said it was worth a broken ankle. She shivered. The mental imagery made her even hotter than she already was. His hands ground her hips into his and he groaned. Her hands were also busy pulling at buttons until she reached hard muscles and thick hair. She rubbed her breast against his chest in a fever of need, moaning again at the sensation of her. I can't stop, he thought. It's been so long. I don't care, she whimpered. She wrapped her legs around. She Please. He didn't need to be asked twice. He carried her into the first bedroom he came to, put her on the bed in strips. Her eyes widened as she saw him without 
protection of clothing. He was incredible looking, not muscular, than tan skin. Oh man, just to arouse the film bears when he stripped her as effectively and tossed her back onto the coverlet. He covered her with his body, his, his face top room, working with the desire that was consuming him. He moved her legs apart and covered himself again. Are you really a virgin? He was remarkable. Sorry. Yes, he managed as she fell against her. So the hand under her hips and lifted her. His eyes held her as he impaled her suddenly. She cried out, shocked and hurt. Steve flinched. He held her still. When she tried to move back away from him, it won't hurt for long, he promised roughly. But it did. She bit her lower lip until blood dropped, salty and hot on her tongue. She closed her eyes, aware of his harsh breathing, a violent downward push of his hips as he drove for satisfaction. Lying death to everything except the need to overcome the anguish that consumed him. The tension snapped very quickly in a red rush of sensation that made him cry out with its intensity. Shut it over her, ramming his hips down against her as he filled her body with his one final instant surge of passion. He felt her tears at his face and across her, against her, he felt her shivering. It had been bad and he lost control. He kissed the tears away. His hands moved tenderly over her hair, rushing away from her wet, pale face. He looked down, and her eyes was quite blurry. It's been seven years, and I'm sorry I couldn't stop. She couldn't stop. She's been seven years. She whispered, surprised. He nodded, bent and brushed his mouth over her eyelids, sipping away the witness. I'm approved, just like my brother. He was. I think people should be married before they have sex. He swallowed, trying to cup, cup his face. So do I. He propped himself on her elbow and studied her face well. I've never had a virgin he fetched to fetch your wife. <laughs> she was a, part, a party girl, he said. I thought all women were like you, that they waited for marriage. I had a shock on my wedding night when she shared the benefit of her central education with me. <laughs> he managed to recall. I was shocked and mad and couldn't even express it because she got me so hot out of... I've died to have her. She kept me that way for three years. <laughs> she searched his eyes. Incredible to be lying together with him in such an intimacy and talking to each other like this. I don't know anything about men, she confessed out, except what I've read in books and seen in movies and heard from girlfriends, he brought. Actually, I've only ever had one real girlfriend, my sister-in-law, Tilly, and we don't ever talk about such things, she told me. So I guess I'm a prude, too. <laughs> he moved his Moved the hair away from her ear and studied it. You have tiny little ears. She saw they match my tiny little feet. <laughs> Sexy feet. He said, some men like breasts, other like legs. I like feet. <laughs> my goodness. He would How bad is it when I do this? He moved his hips very slowly. She caught her breath. He lifted up and pushed down again. She caught her breath again, but this time her fingernails didn't just much alarm from pool. I thought it was best to get the pain out of the way first, because I know a few things I can teach you. You do? She was shivering, but not from pain. Not this time. Mm-hmm. Remember, he slid his hand under her hips and lifted her tenderly into the thrust of his body. Put your legs together. That's right. She moaned hard. See? His head bent, and he brushed her mouth open with his lips while he moved lazily against her. Each movement more arousing, more sensual than the one before. Her fingernails began to move her hands down my back and do that. He was 
She slid them over her hips onto the firm muscles, digging in. He groaned and arched, increasing his possession on her. She gasped, looked straight into her eyes, and shifted. The pleasure bit into him like a sweet knife. You could see the echo of it on her own face. She started to close her eyes, faintly embarrassed at watching something so intimate. Now don't close your eyes when you hear this. Watch me. Let me watch you. She flushed as she met his silver eyes. He shifted again, catching one of her silky thighs in his hand and positioned her in her again so that she crowned. She groaned, didn't she? Now, I'm going to show you why the French call climax, the little death. He slid one hand under her nap and clenched it in her hair, silver eyes glittering as he moved in her and his body thrust hard and fast down into hers. Eyes, each movement deep and quick and passionate. It only took a few seconds for her to go over the edge. She ate that and saw the cry out. That's it, he was rescuing her. That's it, baby. Come on, get me. Come on. Come on, push. Push, push. She was screaming. The pleasure was like a vice. Her eyes were wide open. He was watching her, seeing it, laughing as she caught at his hips and around hers, up into his rhythm that was faster than her own. Get a baby, get it now. She shuddered and shuddered, twisting up, arching up, pleading in a voice that only she vaguely recognized as her own, while the pleasure suddenly built to crescendo and exploded in her body like a rush of molten magma. She gasped, almost in shock as she overwhelmed her. She shivered and sobbed, clinging to him, while she was buffeted by the most incredible pleasure she'd ever experienced in her life. His face above her, clenched. And he read off something explosive as satisfying as satisfaction shook his powerful body like a feverish chill. He arched his hips down into hers and cried out hoarsely, his head thrown back in pure exity as he shuddered with her in a climax so hot that he almost passed out. She was aware of her own heartbeat going like a drum of her sobbing, sobbing breath as she tried to drag in air. She felt kill raven still shuddering against her voice breaking as he felt the tension explode. Her eyes were intent on him. She never seen an expression like that. His face was clenched and flushed. His eyes were closed. His whole body shuddered again and again. And his eyes opened and he saw watching. He groaned and the shudder seemed to be there God. He cried out and shuddered again. She was fascinated. All her reading hadn't prepared her for what she was seeing. He wasn't pretending. He was really blind with pressure, pleasure that she was giving him. Impulsively, she lifted against him and moved sensuously. He sobbed and the shudder increased. She loved pleasing him. That made her own body throb all over again. She moved feverishly, arching up to him, twisting, watching him cry out as pleasure brought into him. Uncharted realms of passion. It took a long time. She shivered again. His surprise is another climax, tightening muscles. Watching him, pleasing him, was giving her fulfillment again and again. Felt her body clench over and over, felt her tighten around him as he drowned in pleasure. He was letting her see, letting her enjoy him. He was enjoying her. Couldn't remember a time with Monica when he let himself lose control to this extent. He always held something back, really ashamed of the way she could manipulate him with sex. This was different. When he loved him, it was alright if she saw him helpless. She watched him achieve satisfaction in her soft body. He was shuddering, made a sound in his throat. And his body ground down into her. As the last shivering rush of pleasure began to fade away, she let him relax. She took his full weight, hungry for the contact to continue, so stated that she could barely get breath. 
A little dance. She whispered into everyone last time. Yes. She closed her eyes and she felt exhaustion. Leave her limp, limp and boneless under his hard, damp body. The hair on his chest felt wet against her breast. His cheek slid against hers with a long, heavy sigh. A little long chainsaw, he whispered. And incredibly, he fell asleep. So did she. In the aftermath of something so explosive and unexpected that she knew nothing would ever be the same again. End of chapter 13